Hello, and welcome to this episode of Sarah and Friends, a podcast series that's part of Teaching Channel's Teach Talks. It's where I grab some of my educator friends and geek out for a while about teaching and leading and learning. In this series, we're taking a look at a special kind of wisdom, the kind that my guests would give to their first-year teacher selves. Don't worry if you aren't a first-year teacher. There is plenty of insight for all of us from these educators. And with us today is Josh Parker, who is an instructional coach at Paul Lawrence Dunbar High School in Washington, D.C. He also will be really familiar to the Teaching Channel community because of his role as one of the teacher laureates. Uh, Josh, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to join Sarah and Friends. Yeah. It's an awesome title, so uh, I'm ready to uh, share. Fantastic. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are right now? Well, I first probably start off with, um, as a young kid, I wanted to be in the NBA, but I wasn't good at basketball, so, uh, so I had to discover <laughs> another route, and uh, that route led me to teaching. Uh, I wanted to impact lives, and so the first thing I wanted to do in college was to be a sports broadcaster, so I went to school for that and minored in English. And then when I got out into the world and uh, was a sports producer, it just didn't fill me. Um, it, even though I love sports like almost nobody else, talking about it didn't seem to give me the same joy um, that watching it did. So while I was on my way to finding my career, I started substitute teaching, and that's where my career ended up being. So uh, I love English. I started to remember uh, some of the experiences that I had as a high school um, student. Yeah. And that's feeling my love for English. And so I went into teaching, became an English teacher, went to school by night, went to school by day, uh, and got my certification and had a really successful year. Uh, uh, and then, uh, well, career, um, my first year was really, really tough. Yeah. Uh, but then uh, was awarded teacher of the year 2012 from Baltimore County, Maryland. And then I wanted a new challenge. Um, uh-huh. And the new challenge was, uh, what is it like in another district? What is it like to um, really look at instructional leadership from another angle? Because I've been a department chair before and I've been in the central office in one district. I want to see in another district, could it look differently? And how could I almost recreate myself um, in another space? And that's what led me to Paul Lawrence Dunbar High School and an instructional coach. Absolutely. I am really curious about this tough first year. So we are focusing this episode on thinking about first years, and I think that would be really helpful for our listeners. So my first year was at least from August till about November, began at 5 a.m. and ended at 1 a.m. the next morning without fail. So um, I was trying to build the plane while flying it because I never had formal education in education. And so most days, because I didn't have a car, I would wake up very, very early to ride two buses into my school. Um, and I would have be grading papers on the back of the bus because I just didn't have the time. Then I would try to do some semblance of a lesson plan. And that would take me you know, really long. And then I get back on the bus with a box of papers yeah. and then try to figure out how to lesson plan, get home, eat, do some work, and then do it all over again, again. For, for a few months. So 
it was very difficult to understand what the rhythm of teaching was, um, what the relationship was between objective and assessment uh, and then teaching. Um, So, and then also, of course, I was taking classes. So I had that on top of it. So it was a very difficult first year. Did you have any um, epiphany moments that helped Mm -hmm. you transition out of that? Yeah, so there was uh, there was this one time um, where I was trying to get students to stop talking because uh, uh-huh. they just for me I was like <laughs> these kids just keep talking. <laughs> so, um, so so I had uh, after lunch one day uh-huh. uh, I had uh, t- a student was talking and just wouldn't stop talking and so I just I almost screamed at her and I was a little scared because I was like wow like. I, I am literally at this point right. a bit out of control right. because of all the different things that accumulated over the year and I wasn't finding success and it was hard. Um, and I just, after I had finished unloading on this young girl, she just turned around and laughed at me. And I was like, wow. oh my God, what do I do now? And so the epiphany there was if you lose control to get control, you don't have control. Oh. And so I started to nice. regulate my own emotions. That's mm-hmm. the first thing. And then secondly, in that moment, I'm a, I'm a person of faith. So in that moment, I was just like, you know, what do I do? Like, what do I do yeah. here? And after that class, which was unsuccessful, I was walking in the hallway and it was like I was doubting myself. I could feel sure. my inner doubter saying, you can't do this. This is something that you like to do, but it's not something that you're skilled to do. But it's almost like I felt an invisible hand saying, you can do this. Get through today, figure it out, get some training, get some learning, and then you'll get better. And that's what fueled me to start my own professional development practice, which helped me for the rest of my career. Sure, sure. Well, because, of course, the trajectory after this, you know, has been really incredible for you. Um, we have talked before about the importance of language and mm-hmm. text and literature. And I would love for you to share how that's been so central to the way you approach kids, mm-hmm. um, not just how you approach your content, because when I have heard you talk about this, it's so much bigger than that. Yeah. So uh, the text that changed my life, one of the texts that changed my life in school mm-hmm. uh, was Dreams uh, or Harlem by Langston Hughes. Yeah. Um, hearing that for the first time in high school, I just, uh, I don't know. I didn't know that words could move like that. Yeah. It was just an amazing moment for me. Yeah. Um, but it also was a moment where I, I didn't feel alone anymore in emotions mm-hmm. that I was having. And, yeah. and sometimes as a male, uh, we tend to be not able to express our emotions or put in this little box. So being able to see another male emote like that, uh, I was like, wow, like I feel some of the same ways about things. And then all right. of his poetry helped me to find another person that I could relate to. Right. Uh, so I had a lot of peer issues growing up, didn't have a lot of friends because uh, I was kind of awkward, nerdy kind of guy. Uh-huh. So Fast Which is really forward. hard to believe right now. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty much still the truth now. But, um, uh, So fast forward to when I started teaching, I started seeing myself in other people, right? So I started seeing myself in other students, boys and girls, that awkwardness or that alone feeling or that text really doesn't matter because text wasn't related to their lives. So 
my one of my my pedagogical orientations, which was fueled by Dr. Alfred Tatum, is how can you match your life to the text or match the text to your life? And so one of my operating principles now has been how do I make this text relevant through prescriptive questionings or other things that I can do? Or how do I find a text that could easily fit and give kids a counter narrative or a kind of compliment to what they're feeling? Right. And so at the end of the day, text has changed my life because of what I connected to with it. And that's what I try to do in my classrooms is connect yeah. kids to text that's going to change their lives. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's so important for teachers to think about the ways that we connect to to text, not just the kinds that show up in literature or language arts classrooms, but you know, the texts of the world and, and the right. text that you would find in any discipline at any age. I think it's, right. it's, that's, it's an important lesson for all of us. That's a great point. Yeah. One of point. the other words that I often hear you use whenever you speak about teaching is the word service. Yeah. There's a Christian rapper, uh, his name is Lecrae, who says that we are God's poem to the world. Uh, I think that's a profound statement um, in that we are the message to the world of what's important. Mm -hmm. And when we're teaching students, it is a service to the world. Mm -hmm. And so when I think about what I do, I think about the government dollars that pays my salary. Mm -hmm. And I think about, am I providing a service that is going to advance society? And that's mm -hmm. what factors into the decisions that I make as a, as a professional. I also think about when I'm done what is the legacy of service to humanity that I have left? And so well, I think a good it, question. You know, I think it lifts it lifts lesson planning out of kind of the doldrums of, of, sure. of that. And it's like, okay, whatever I do, whatever words that I say to a child, whatever text I put in front of them, there is gonna be a trail behind that. Right. So what is it that I wanna leave so that when I leave here, people can remember my service mm -hmm. and they can think, man, you know. Mr. Parker was someone who was of great service to humanity and to the kids that were in front of him. Mm -hmm. And so I think the idea of service um, is, it's really important to our work as professionals. Yeah. You know, talk about the, the arc of accumulation, really, you know, you, you, you shared with us this, you know, really profound moment when all of this frustration accumulated into an epiphany and, now we're talking about a different kind of accumulation, you know, that that shows itself in, in the face of, of service. Um, I've also read um, many different times you've written about the importance mm -hmm. of space, mm -hmm. um, the space that we give teachers, the space that we give students, what we do with the space. Mm -hmm. um, can you speak to that a bit? Yeah, yeah. So that's interesting. And I almost found another peer. This, this is why I like books so much. I find yeah. critical friends that I didn't know existed. So yeah. I've, I've been on this Brene Brown kick lately. I know oh. I'm late to the party. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm late to the party. Everybody <laughs> else has been there. I, I'm just arriving. So I don't claim to be like a new person. But um, or I am new. I don't claim to be somebody who knows everything about her philosophy. But it really speaks to a lot of things that I've already believed deeply. Right. So when we deal with space, we deal with the emotional space that's in a classroom. Right. Not just the physical space. And the emotional space might be more palpable than the physical space. And when I mean emotional space, I mean how are the interactions between teacher and student and student to student 
in the service of something greater, right? And so it's important that when I see a child that they can see in my eyes that I like that they're there. Yeah. That's important for the space. Okay, then the space to kind of get with this Brene Brown idea has to be shame free, right? Mm-hmm. So, oh, uh, so if a child if a child is not doing what I ask them to do, or if a child is not where they need to be, my response doesn't need to induce shame because mm-hmm. then shame relates to them hiding parts of themselves. Right. So, um, so the space creating a space where kids can thrive is first in that social emotional piece, right? That affective domain. Um, One of the things I've heard, which was really powerful to me years ago that I've seen in the classroom is that we always think, or we have traditionally thought that we are thinking creatures that feel. Yeah. Now we understand that we're feeling creatures that think, which is to say things hit us emotionally before they hit us cognitively. So my demeanor, the way that I impact students really sets the climate for a great emotional space. And I'll share this one piece. Yeah. Usually in every lesson, when possible, and I'm not great at it, so there are lots of lessons where it doesn't happen. I like to create an emotional moment. Okay. Most of the times that's through poetry because I think poetry is very emotional. Right. Um, through a, a powerful quote or through a sincere word of appreciation. Right. And that emotional moment reaches beyond um, the barriers that kids have touches them someplace internal and connects them to me so that our space is fertile for creation later. And so that emotional moment is a really key point um, in in lessons. Absolutely. Um, There's a a wonderful book by the Heath brothers called Switch. Yes. And they Mm -hmm. talk a lot about the necessity of emotion in change. Um, And that's what, teaching facilitates that's teaching right. facilitates change and it can't right. happen without an emotional connection yeah that's right that's yeah, right absolutely I, um, I talk with um one of our great colleagues um, megan allen yeah. uh, when i uh, t- co-taught a session with her that's one of the books we use with switch and yeah. um it's something that's really really key uh you can't you can't get someone to change if they don't understand the need for changes sometimes understand the need for change happens on an emotional level yeah Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's go back to that first year. The okay. rough one. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. I'm going back to that, but I'm I know. It, I know. We're going to go back just one tears. more time. Okay. All right. I want to know what advice you would give to that self today. Quit. Get out. No, joking. <laughs> um, it's just a joke. No, I, I would, um, <laughs> I would tell myself to relax. Yeah. Um, that, you can't uh, win or lose the game in the first quarter. Yeah. Uh, and that start developing the habits that will sustain you. And a very big important piece of advice to me is um, never shy away from doing the hard way. Yeah. Right. Oftentimes uh, we would choose a path of least resistance just because of human nature. Sure. I think a lot of times my first year I said, what can I do? Um, that may be effective, but may not take as much effort because I'm already extended all these different directions. Yep. But doing things the hard way the first time mm-hmm. 
will actually sustain you over the life of your career. Because as, at a certain point, you're going to have to grade papers and be, yeah. be good at that. At a certain point, you're going to have to know your curriculum and actually read the books before teaching them to the children. Like, yeah. and that's hard way stuff. So you can't shy away from the hard stuff up front uh, because at some point you're going to have to learn how to do it to reach expertise. So I would tell myself to relax, do things the hard way, yeah. uh, and to and to understand that that teaching is repetition until learning takes place, which is to say that um, you're not going to get it right the first or the second or third time, but you have to just keep at it. Right. Uh, one of the adages that I really like is that every day you have to get up and plow your field like it's never been plowed before. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so that's really that's a really key point that I tell myself. And then I think you also have to be mindful enough that you can recognize it when you do get it, you know, That's when right. the repetition shifts, you know. That's a good point. Very good point. I agree with that. So whenever I do interviews, um, I love to include a, a lightning round. And mm, okay. so I have five <laughs> quick questions for you. Okay. Um, kind of almost an association game. Right, your okay. your your first quick response. All right. Okay, I'm ready. Uh, first question: uh, What book are you reading right now? Oh, there's too many. Um, oh goodness, there's so many that I'm reading. Uh, let's go with The End of Average um, okay. by uh, Todd Rose. Okay. Really good book. What does it feel like to walk into a classroom? Potential energy that you haven't uh, turned into kinetic energy yet. What's the first name of a memorable student? Raquel. And what did she teach you? <laughs> She's the one that I yelled at. Oh. <laughs> uh, she, taught, she, she, taught, she taught me just patience and that, um, and that if you really love a student, they will give it back to you more than what you gave. Right. Oh. So. If you, if you really invest in a student, they will always give you back more than what you put in. Yeah, absolutely. What does it mean to be a teacher? It means to be submitted to brokenness every day, um, mm. which means um, submitted to the brokenness that you might see in students, um, submitted to um, how a day can break you, but in the breaking, some of the greatness that's within you comes out. Um, it's, it's that ability to say, I thought it was this way, but this is presenting me with a new challenge. Now I have to adjust. So that, that flexibleness, um, uh, from what a day might bring you is yeah. what teaching is in one sense. I mean, there's other things too, sure. but it's being submitted to the brokenness that you might experience in the process. Well, that's beautiful and really fitting because I feel like this entire conversation you have, um, been bringing poetry to the profession. No, so, yeah. so thank you so much for that. I, I really you. appreciate it. It's been fantastic you. having you. I oh, appreciate you, Sarah. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you've heard some of your best teaching self in this conversation today and can remember that the work you're doing, it's the very best kind. This is Sarah Brown Wessling for Teaching Channel. You can stay in touch with me via Twitter or through my webpage at sarahbrownwessling.com.